0: This is episode number 252 of the Rising Man Podcast with Titus Kahutek. All of our best skills and gifts come from trauma. Welcome back everybody to the Rising Man Podcast. I am Jetty Azuma, your host and founder of the Rising Man Movement. Thank you for being here today and for joining me for another amazing conversation with my guest who's back for his third time on the show, Titus Kahutek. First and foremost, he is a lover of life, an explorer at heart. He's fascinated by the human landscape. As a coach, trainer, speaker, and co-founder, his work focuses on activating and empowering human potential through reintegrating the body-mind. He works with innovators, leaders, and organizations to optimize performance and enrich the living experience. His passion is to create learning environments that foster the process of self-discovery. Titus is a graduate of the Strozzi Leadership Institute, is a new field certified coach and graduate of the Czech Institute as well. I love this episode, mostly because I just love sitting down and talking with Titus, but the fact that we recorded it and captured some of his brilliance, we first focused on defining adaptation and discussing why it's essential to the human experience. We also explored why we as a society vilify stress and strain. We discussed how safety and comfort have dominated our pursuits and defined what success is but how that's in turn damaged our nervous system. We talked about what we believe is the best prescription for managing stress as a modern human with typical stressors and how a nervous system that can identify pertinent threats, why we must learn how to use our sensations to inform our decision-making. We discussed making a powerful distinction between moods and emotions. Titus did a great job at explaining this so that we could all gain better command of our experiences. And lastly, why suspending an emotion by suppressing it prolongs the experience and pain of the stress. Without further ado, Titus Kahutek. Rising Man fam, I've got my dear brother, Titus Kahutek, coming in for the third trip around the Rising Man podcast circuit. Dude, thanks for making some time. Good to see you. Oh, so happy
1: to be here, Jetty. It's always good yeah. being with you, man.
0: Yeah, yeah. I-, I was surprised to hear that you guys have been very dry up in the Pacific Northwest, dude. That's wild, huh?
1: It's been remarkable. Like uh, today, yesterday was the first day of rain in what felt like more than a month. We had a like, little
0: spattering, but not like the Northwest used to be. Yeah. Wow, man. Times they are changing. And I think that's a good segue into what we want to discuss today. I, I know uh, we share a very common personal belief that adaptation is one of the most critical requirements of the human being to, to succeed in the human experience. Let's just start with defining that word. What is what is adaptation?
1: Adaptation, adaptability, you know, the ability to adapt, like, ada- like how stress impacts and we interact with the stressors to to change and evolve through time and i think that's one of the um strongest capacities of human beings and especially our bodies and our minds is that we can adapt um but we need the stressors in order to do it which is fascinating
0: well that's the thing right i know you we we chirped about this a little bit before we started recording, but there's so much of the human experience, the modern human experience that's arranged to avoid or mitigate the stressors of life. Um, Now, I I think about this because I like to use the natural world as a reference. I think of the other mammals in the world and how it seems like so much of what we do as modern humans is opposite of other mammals. But when it comes to this uh, assessment of, of safety and, and decision making as creatures on this planet I don't see other creatures willingly choosing to embark upon stressful or difficult situations it's more of a function of their own survival so how do you how do you see that as modern humans doing that dance?
1: yeah that's that's fascinating on a number of in a number of ways first we vilify stress as a concept you know people use stress as a negative term. When stress is literally just a physical term, it's a pressure exerted by a force outside of ourselves and sometimes inside of ourselves. And those stressors force change and, and movement. They they move us around in different ways. And when all the stressors are balanced just right, that's what we call homeostasis. Mm-hmm. Now, um, in modern terms, we've A, vilified stress as a concept, but then Success was defined or is defined by safety and comfort. The more successful we became, the safer we got. The more successful we become, the more comfortable we are. Yet our nervous systems, like you were saying, an animal's nervous system is designed for a world that's exactly not that. So we made an alternate world, which is very safe and very comfortable. So what I'm observing is that a lot of people then have their own threat assessments where each individual finds different aspects of the world threatening and then that causes a lot of anxiety and fear whereas it's not a real lion on the savanna it's a it's a projected imagined lion that's not there and mm-hmm. each person has their own projections of threats and that causes a lot of dissonance in each individual because mm-hmm. we're not even sharing what is a threat anymore mm-hmm. and then the other thing is comfort and the the climate-controlled environments that we live in, which, by the way, I love being a modern human. I think that we have potentials beyond our ancestors in a lot of ways. We just have to reconcile this challenge. And so how we bring stress and pressure into our life, how we bring medicinal discomfort into our life, if you do that in a strategic way, we can build strength and capacities that our ancestors never imagined. But we have to use stress
0: it's it's an interesting paradox isn't it it's like on one on one side of things we we need we require stress and strain to develop into our full potential and capacity and the whole personal development industry is all about rising into your full potential right getting the most out of yourself you possibly can even capitalism right squeeze the berry for all the juice and yet on the other side of things it's like well but don't do that at the cost of your mental health or your well-being and so it's interesting when we create these paradoxes, we have to run back and forth between those two sides. And as you were speaking, I was just thinking to myself that the question that I pose, like how does, how do we reconcile the experiences of other animals? They don't have to choose stress or strain or challenge in their lives because life just hands that to them. <laughs> they don't live in an air conditioned environment, Exactly, undomesticated creatures on this planet. Life itself is the stress and the strain. And when they have moments of rest or respite, and they can just take a nap on the Savannah there, that's. That's just them—they're regulating their nervous system when they can. But there's so much more that's unsafe relative to me, recording this podcast from inside of you know a, a, a like you said climate-controlled environment. I got my air conditioned. I'm chilling. It's almost like we have to manufacture these experiences for ourselves. Yes. So I got to go to, you know, I, I chill in the in the air conditioning all day, looking at my computer screen, and then I got to go to CrossFit class and kill myself for 60 minutes.
1: Absolutely. And and in that that kind of, and by the way, when we do have a stressful event, our nervous systems used to have a whole process. And a lot of the ways that our nervous system process stress, let's say you got chased by the lion on the Savannah and you got away. Mm -hmm. That was a very stressful event, you know, so the vagus nerve kicked in, our autonomic nervous system goes to fight or flight. We do the thing, we get away. But now if we have a stressful event, like an email or a phone call that comes into our life, that impacts our body like a lion on the Savannah, but we don't have to run, jump and twist, use our exertion to get away. So all of that excess energy gets stuck in the tissues. You know, and it shows up as anxiety. It shows up as this energy that can't be processed. And then days of that, we lose our ability to just dump stress like an animal does because we actually shame it, you know, even just like shaking and moving our body, shivering a little bit, all the things that a natural body does to process stress, we shame publicly and people have to keep a button, keep it buttoned up you know, and that, that, that becomes a problem.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like we're working harder than we need to when it comes to this. Um, I, in so many ways, it's, it's wonderful that professional athletes, entertainers are opening up about their experiences with mental health challenges, anxiety, overwhelm, depression. Um, and obviously it's bringing more attention to how we've managed stress by numbing it and prescribing medications that eliminate those responses or interfere with the chemistry that our body is trying to run its natural cycles with. So it's, on one hand, it's great that we're having more of those conversations, but I know that we both, I, I know we both share the same belief that we're, we're really not addressing the problem. We're, we're putting band-aids on it or may, and even just creating other problems by rerouting that energy. So what is your, what would, what is your ideal prescription? For how a modern Mm. human would navigate ordinary stress the emails the bills paying rent that kind of stuff yeah it's an
1: interesting question
0: because you know our body
1: doesn't necessarily know the difference between an imaginary lion and a real lion you know when we have that feeling we have that feeling so partially I think is to really start being clear on what a real threat is. You know, so the email doesn't get the same weight as a lion. That bill doesn't get the same weight as a life-threatening situation. Those are, those are more, um, how do I put it? Like, they might be annoyances. They're part of the game of life, but they're not a threat. And when we can turn and square up against it and actually say, no, I'm gonna answer that email, I'm going to respond to that person, they're not threatening me, they're not threatening me. So it's not a real threat. And the more we can get clear on what a real threat is, and that requires some exposure to real stress. So using medicinal stress, using challenges, taking on the opportunity to do things that scare us in a little way so that we can expand the container for stress in general. So those are things we can do. Um, but first is to really distinguish between imaginary stress and authentic stress. Mm. There's a great book, um, Gavin de Becker, The Gift of Fear. Have you ever read that book? No. The Gift of Fear. He makes some excellent distinctions between anxiety and fear. And mm. fear being the natural process of a real threat occurring in our body responding in a natural way, which is fear. It's a fear response. And that's a, a good thing. And then there's anxiety, which is an imagined stress that shows up as fear.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it's, it's and and you can tell the difference because when you square up against anxiety, when you face the thing that's making you anxious, it dissipates. Mm-hmm. I used to um, play soccer growing up and I remember We called it pregame jitters, you know, but it was actually a panic attack. It was the same thing. I remember sitting in class. I couldn't focus. I couldn't hear people. My insides were turning. My gut was wrenching. like I was feeling this incredible anxiety, but I called it pregame jitters. Mm. And as soon as the game would start, all of that would melt away and I would blend into the game. You know, so it was almost the energy and the charge that set me up for the game.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, And so that, that, that's how you could distinguish between a real
0: fear and anxiety. Well, this is a really fascinating topic because, um, I think I, I always use this formula that I've adapted from my teachers over time, APA awareness, possibilities, and then action. And I think what we're in is we're in the era of, a, a much wider social acceptance and awareness that mental health is something we all experience, right? And and we know this, that because we're millions and billions of people across this planet, that word just travels really slow, right? <laughs> but, and and like the, the anchored and the accepted word, not just news, but like we all, okay, mental health is a thing. We all have a voice and a conversation going on up here that's similar to everybody else's and that can be really, really painful and damaging if it's not a yeah. conversation that we're participating in with others. So that's step one. Right. And now we're starting to move into, well, what are some of these other possibilities for how to navigate this instead of medication and suppression, et cetera. And then obviously putting that into action. So when I think about this with you, just riffing out loud, I see one of the most critical pieces that's missing that I would have loved to have. It's just... um. At a baseline, solidarity, right? When Mm. I know that somebody else is like, dude, I'm terrified to call my accountant too because I don't know how much I owe in taxes this year or if if I'm going to have enough or if the government's going to ask me for some money, you know, like that that somebody else is sharing that too. There's a little bit, it doesn't go away, but there's this, okay, well, at least I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one that gets chased by a lion. Absolutely, right. And, And then beyond solidarity, mentorship. Like, hey man, I've gone through that fear so many times more than I care to count. What are, you, what are you doing differently about that this time? Cause that same thing came up last year. Is there a different way you could approach that now? I love that's, that. That's what
1: I love about your work with rising man is just opening this conversation to the broader scope of what we're all feeling. Like we all have an emotional world. We all have an emotional body. And in many ways, I believe it's that separation from our body that's actually causing all this disease. You know, my mission is body-mind integration, specifically body-mind story integration. And I believe that the most powerful resource available to humanity right now is the integrated body-mind. And the biggest disease and the driver of of, um, low self-esteem is the disintegrated body-mind. And I think that when we're talking about mental health, it's the fact that we have a belief that our body is a separate thing from our mind. And that our mind is this mental health space. Meanwhile, all the sensations that are going on in our body that our mind is trying to avoid is the disease. Mm -hmm. The more we can bring those sensations into context with our mind, it's not attacking us, but our sensations are informing us. That's the deeper part of our wisdom. That's our deeper knowing. And the more integrated our bodies and minds get, the less we can even have something called anxiety. And so the, the Cartesian or Descartes said, I think therefore I am. So in this, this Cartesian rational world we lived in, we created the
0: conditions for anxiety to exist. Mm. That's a heavy hit right there, man. Yeah, we totally did. Right. I mean, I uh, I was talking, I know I just shared with you about uh, Sundance and an, an episode we just recorded a couple of weeks ago with Phil, you know, we were sharing about our experience with Sundance and I was just messaging him the other day. I said, bro, that was a really hard thing we did out at Sundance. I said, but, but do you feel like life itself is, is way harder than that? <laughs> I was like, cause, I was like, a lot of days. I feel like this is harder than Sundance. Like I could just go back there and he's like, oh man, Totally and it's not that the physical experience is harder i mean by far the physical challenge of sundance is more than i experience on a day-to-day basis anywhere in my life but the the combination of factors and the unknowns and the uncertainties and the complexity of life that i still choose to participate in by being plugged into the grid and you know tapped into the rat race um that that's really what what manufactures that experience for myself. And I think a lot of us don't even recognize or acknowledge that we're still choosing that. Totally.
1: And to your point, this is the hardest life is the hardest challenge. And, you know, in your case, like starting a business in the, the personal development of actually being an entrepreneur and launching a business, like being out in the wilderness as it is, you know, there's no guarantees, there's no safety nets, and we're playing for life and death. You mm-hmm. know, like that's that's that is the game. And I think that this is the hardest challenge available to us. But it's also our greatest opportunity, mm-hmm. you know, is to to live this life and step into our challenges. And that's whether you're an entrepreneur or you're climbing up the corporate ladder, that the the environment, how we show up matters. And mm-hmm. we can show up in a powerful way if we bring our emotional content into the situation instead of trying to. Put emotions aside and tucked away. If you use all of those emotions, we just are more effective in our
0: environments. That's not the same thing as getting ruled by our emotions. That's the difference, right? And that's so much of what I know—the the the work and the mission that you and I both share—is to um, starting with myself, right? To be always be in that practice of having what I like to call, uh, think of as better command of my emotions. Mm. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't believe that any of us can control emotions. I believe that Amen. emotions are involuntary Absolutely. until, until we gain awareness of them. And until Absolutely. we have that, that consciousness jumps in, there's um, a
1: distinction that might be useful between emotions here. So in, in my book, I'll, we'll talk more about it later,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: um, there's our emotional life, which is something we can't control emotions, but then there's our moods. And moods are like the long arc emotions. They're almost a filter that we see the world through. They're they're our postural dispositions and our frames. Mm. And while we can't change emotions, emotions just are fluctuating sensations with any change in our environment, moods, we have a lot of leverage in. We can create and build moods through our practices, through what we read, write, who we interact with, how we build our life builds our moods, which sets the stage for different emotional experiences.
0: Yeah, I love that distinction. I know that, that that comes from some of the shared educational background that we have. And and I think that that's maybe you can say a little bit more about the mood component, because I think generally speaking, the, the definition of what a mood is, is hard for people to differentiate from an emotion.
1: Very difficult. I think it's fascinating. It's a fascinating distinction. Um, The best way I can describe it are moods are like the filters that we see the world through. They um, dictate our attitudes and dispositions of how we are receiving information. Mm -hmm. And uh, an equation I use with my clients a lot is M plus A equals F-O-P-A. And what that means is mood plus a given assessment. So your assessment of a situation, your opinion of a situation equals the field of possible actions. Mm. So if I were to ask you, Jetty, um, if you were in the mood of frustration and anger, mm-hmm. okay? So this is the mood, the disposition you're in. Um, and then somebody cuts you off in traffic, what it, your, what's your assessment of that person? And then what's the field of possible actions?
0: They're an asshole and I can lift this finger or this finger or I can beat my horn or I can tailgate.
1: (laughs) Totally. Totally. Okay. So now you're in a mood of love and gratitude. Okay. And what that, what that disposition is in your body. And then somebody cuts you off in traffic. What's your field of possible actions?
0: Yeah. I can take a deep breath, empathy. Well, maybe that person's in a rush for some reason. I don't know about, you know, I mean, maybe they got something going on. Either way, I can give them some space. No need to make their experience any more stressful.
1: Exactly. And so moods determine how we're going to respond to a given stimulus. So the thing might be there. We might even be frustrated that they cut us off, but our ability to tolerate frustration might convert to compassion. Mm -hmm. Right. So those how that how that changes our emotional content is powerful. And and the mood is what is set as the parameters. And so we can build our moods. It, also, our moods are our social contribution. So we bring a mood into a room, mm. right? We That is our social mechanism. That's what we're showing up with in any given field. And so if we bring, or the the field might, there might be a mood in the room that you go into, and you go in in a different, and you're like, whoa, what's the vibe in here? So moods are felt by the limbic systems of everybody around us. Mm-hmm. So they're what we bring into the
0: space. So that that's that's a really great distinction, man, by the way. I'm glad that we got to capture that for everybody. Cause I think it's really simple when you describe it that way. My curiosity goes to, well, then how do we influence our mood? Because for me, frustration and anger is still something that occurs and obviously i can choose to be in that space but sometimes i'm like i can't override this i can't get beyond this so what what do you what is your way of looking at how to influence mood so that we step into a, a room with what we want to bring amen um
1: i don't want to be too like glib like just do this you know because a mood can be really deep it's part of our identity in a lot of ways you know, mm. moods can be triggered from events that happened a long time ago. So they could be long standing emotion waves, you know, like, like
0: Eeyore people, right? Like some people who just always look for the negative in something. And totally. It's like conditioned. Yeah, yeah, totally. And
1: so they might be long standing moods mm. and and they are they to shift that mood might be a lot. I also want to say that we can change instantaneously. I believe in the power of transformation, So once you understand the distinction of a mood, ways that you can start to build your moods are through all of your practices. And not just in the doing, like the physical practice, the sitting practice, the journaling, whatever your practices are, um, what kind of content you're reading, what kind of content you're watching. Um, All of that sets what's called the RAS. Do you know what the RAS is?
0: Yeah, I would say it for everybody Yeah, the, the, the
1: reticular activating system. The RAS is acts like our Google search string in our mind. So Mm -hmm. it filters out all of the information and most of it gets sent to the autonomic nervous system, something we're not aware of, Mm -hmm. but a certain small percentage gets sent to our awareness, what we are, Mm -hmm. what we want to be aware of. And so if you've ever had the experience of buying a new car, shopping for a car, and all of a sudden you see that car everywhere, Mm -hmm. you know, that that's the RAS at work is because we've, looked at something a lot, we've studied that field, our awareness is more attuned to that thing. And mm-hmm. our, our, our awareness is dictated by the RAS. So that's our mood. And we can rebuild our RAS too, by again, what we're reading, what we're watching, um, what, who we're hanging out with. And the final kicker here is the person, the individual has to give permission to change their mood. Because mm-hmm. moods are something we're really married to, you know, it's part of our identity. And so the individual is the only one that has the power, the influence to say, I'll, I'm going to shift my mood, or whatever they need to do. Because if you just go to the gym and I'm pissed off, I'm going to work it out. You might be working in anger, not working out anger,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, so so just doing the action isn't going to change the mood. It's, I'm going to change my mood through this action.
0: Yeah. Yeah. so that, I think that reflects back to what I was sharing before with APA, right? It's like having the awareness, capturing it, and then surveying new possibilities and bringing intention and action to it. There's another formula that I I operate with here, um, PRR, prepare, respond, recover. And that's like preparation for me is the practice, right? It's like, did I, did I exercise? Did I sit? Did I pray? Did I do the things that? nurture me so that I have the capacity to bring the mood that I want into everywhere I go. And then there's, there's times where I get cut off in traffic and the combination of variables, I didn't see them coming. So all I can do is respond. I can't prepare to be cut off in traffic any better than I did. What is my response game like? And then there's the moments where I, I flip off the person in traffic, right. Nope. Or I tailgate them. And it's like, okay, how do I recover from that? I got to catch myself. I got to take those breaths. I got to laugh and say, man, look how ridiculous I'm being what, What's the point anyway? Um, and so, yeah, I think that's, it's, it's helpful to have those distinctions and then the, the formula oh. for how we practice these things.
1: And spot on. And, you know, having that triggered response, isn't a problem, especially if you are aware of it. Like you said, if you do feel that rush of anger and you flip them off, if you can just step back into your observer self, there's a there's a leverage there to soften your body, to soften your gaze, to shift the way you're looking at it. There is a leverage there. Mm-hmm. Um, when we don't have leverage, that's a lot of how they determine the degree of mental health too, is mm-hmm. our ability to access the observer versus I am angry. I'm feeling angry. If, if I can really get to, I'm feeling angry. I have some leverage. If I am angry,
0: I don't have a lot of leverage. Right. Yeah. That's, that's similar in in our world. We would say that's, that's not, you don't have an engaged, an active listener, right? You're shut off. And I, and I notice this a lot with my kids, especially my son, who's very prone to these emotional, I mean, both my kids are really, um, prone to those emotional swings and there's some moments where there's not a reasoning or a, a higher consciousness available there's just pure raw animal processing of, of energy that mm-hmm. has to happen so sometimes we got to sit there and say i'm right here when you're done and when this when 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 this cycle's done let me know what you need even just yesterday it was actually kind it's i always love how much i can learn from my kids and my daughter was really going through something i think she got in a fight with her brother and I came into the mix after having not been involved in it. And she was just in the crying, screaming thing. And I just let her know that I was there and she cried and she screamed and she was like, you know, going through like, a, mm. I wouldn't even call it a tantrum, but an experience. And then at some point I, I asked her again, I said, honey, is there anything that you need that I can help you with? And finally, after asking that, I don't know, half a dozen times, she said, I want to wrestle. Whoa. (laughs) Siri can't help with that, apparently. Um, but I but yeah, she said, I want to wrestle. And she said it through tears and screaming, right? But then we we went to the to the bedroom and I put her on my chest and she started squeezing me. And then within 30 seconds, she was laughing. And it was amazing. How brilliant. How brilliant. They they know, and my son does this too, you know, and they do it in their different ways to different degrees. But when we give when we allow the space, and that takes a lot, man. I mean, this was For the dads out there, this was at the end of my workday. This is the first week of school, day two of the kids going back to school. I had just finished a program launch last night. I got another program launch next week and a retreat. And here I am with my daughter just screaming, right? It's like, how much capacity can one possibly have? But in that moment, I had it. I accessed it. And she was able to just do what her body knew. And then we wrestled. She was laughing. And then we went and had dinner. That's amazing,
1: Jetty. Well done.
0: Way to give her the space
1: to do that. And that's beautiful.
0: And I I don't get it right every time, but I I use it as an example that, that that's that is possible. And I think more times than not, some combination of conditions and even I think just knowledge of of what we can do, what's available, is what limits us from having the a healthier. Definitely to these to these experiences
1: well you you illustrated a number of things i mean there's so much brilliant with that and on your daughter's end too um because there is a natural arc to these emotional experiences there is an ebb and a flow and and when they flood in with that extremity a lot of times people are scared of their emotions they don't know how to process it so they try to stop it and this is the best way to keep a mood and and to set anger as a mood instead of an emotion is we try to suppress or stop it so it doesn't have its natural cycle. Mm. And then you get in this suspended state of that mood where it could last days, weeks, months, years. Mm. But if you have the ability to have the space, if you have the wherewithal to know what you need, I want to wrestle that's such a brilliant thing to say. I want to wrestle because there's angst in my body. And I, I don't know how to articulate that, but I need to stress against something. Right. And that's that's a really beautiful request. And we all might have that. And adults cut that off so much. We're not allowed to wrestle in public. And we really might want to, you know. And mm-hmm. the fact that we have to suppress that, it's, that goes against animal nature, um, you know, so we can't wrestle in public, but you can go home and have a, a body wrestle thing that you slam, you know, there can be ways that we can slam and we can throw and we can express, I call it gur instead of anger, where mm-hmm. we can fully express gur. And something I learned at your workshop when I was at the dojo with you guys was, um, how awesome rages, you know, what a beautiful emotion rages and how divorced we are from it. Like Mm -hmm. we have to suppress rage all the time, but Mm -hmm. when we know how to, or have the room to express it, God, it unlocks so much that's probably latent in people because they have had to suppress anger, little piece of anger for so long and it lost a name even, you know, it lost a name and so it just gets turned inward as depression and anxiety. Whereas Mm -hmm. if you can process it and get it out of your body in in a productive, useful way,
0: there's nothing better. Well, one of the worst things we did was we took anger and rage and we tagged it with a social consequence, right? Exactly. We said, you, you no longer belong if you're one of these people. Exactly. And, and yet we want to, we want to tap into that when it's convenient or when it, when we want to see it for our entertainment, right? We love seeing wrestlers and uh, sports professionals, totally. UFC you, know, athletes. you name it. Oh yeah. We want to see them like rip the other guy's head off as long as it's sanctioned and as long as it's refereed right but again that's why i have so much respect for the natural world and the animal kingdom like there's there's no referees out there there's no fairness there's no just justice Mm-mm. out on the Savannah. it's no. it's real and it's raw and it's rugged and it's violent yes and we and yet yeah, it's it's something that when we try to suppress that within ourselves i mean talk about suppressed emotions Right. What what is the consequence of having a whole population of humans, especially men, suppressing this peak emotion and never even getting to know it? It's like putting it's like it, you know what it's like? It's like I put a hand, it's like I gave a grenade to a man, I pulled out the pin and I said, Hold this as long as you can. Oh god. <laughs> <Right? Good analogy. laughs> try not to let it try not to let it go. Because if you let this go, boom for everybody. Man, I everybody, love everybody that analogy.
1: Know. And and you know, just to put a nod. I like civilization. I like the fact that we've built a society. The The consequences of it have to be acknowledged. The suppression of, of you know, I want to fight or I want to fuck. Like these things are are like deep impulses and we've agreed socially to say, mm-hmm. you're right. That doesn't work socially. And I agree. You can't just go around doing that, you know? So we've had, we've had to suppress it. So we have to also learn how to let it out in positive ways. That is an add-on. So it's not an animal kingdom thing. It's a, it's a higher function, executive function thing. It is an add-on, but it doesn't make it an excuse. You can add it on. We can utilize that and make it into um socially, valuable expressions of that you know Mm -hmm. we can do that so i want to empower everybody listening here that although we do have all these suppressive tactics that society is we also have the wherewithal to channel those emotions and keep them and maintain our deeper animal intelligence while functioning in a society
0: yeah and i'll Uh, echo that too. You know, I, 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 when I think about my children, I don't want my children to grow up in a world where they have to fight for their lives physically every day. Like I definitely don't want that for my kids. Mm -hmm. I, I want my kids to be prepared for anything. And so that's how I'm raising them, but I don't want them to have to fight. I don't want them to have to be violent towards others in order to guarantee their survival. And I think the reason why I have so much respect for the natural world is to me, it's just a reminder of who we actually are. Love that. It, it reminds me that that's that's our baseline and that everything, like you said, beautifully, the add ons, that's all got to be a conscious choice. I even think of this with relationship, you know, monogamous partnership. That's a brand new choice that we right. elected as as a human race and species. And obviously not everybody uh, consents to that or chooses that. But in order for that to. Be, the, be our reality and to have the standard of a monogamous partnership, devoted, loyal, trusting, etc. There are certain things we need to contend with as a consequence of that. And if we choose to contend with those things and can be open and, and honest about that experience, then it allows us to navigate it better. So I think yes. the same is true with our basic instincts. You know, if we can acknowledge that these are emotions that are not wrong or bad. They're not, we're not broken. We don't have, you know, crossed or mixed wires. In fact, the only people who do that get labeled as hazards to society with bona fide mental disorders are people who were shamed and beaten and abused because of their basic humanity at an early age, right? Uh, Yeah. So, So we just have to acknowledge those things and accept them. Yes, and figure out how to, and maybe
1: even beyond, how do we include them? Like, you know, again, the Cartesian separation, where we put all of our emotional intelligence in a box, Mm. and we exalted our ideas and our rational mind into being all important, Mm. that separation hamstringed us. It was a good experiment. I think modernity is, you know, developed because of it in a lot of ways. But now we have this amazing opportunity to reintegrate to bring all of that emotional content and intelligence to the executive table. And if we have it as part of our executive function, we operate at a much higher level in most parameters of life, whether that be in the boardroom or the gym or on the Savannah
0: itself. Totally, man. Totally. Well, I, this is an awesome conversation. I think a lot of people are going to get a lot of value out of it. I know that you and I could just keep riffing on this for hours, which is what I would appreciate <laughs> you about you the most, among many other things. Um, but yeah, man, I want to, obviously, everyone who's listened up to this point will have gotten such a great sampling of your belief system, your approach, your methodologies. And I was so excited to hear that you've been able to capture that in a book and an educational series that's coming out. So I want to make sure You've got some time to speak about that and introduce that to the audience.
1: Yeah, thanks, Jetty. Um, You know, so a couple of years ago, my wife is a mental health therapist. So she she, and she specifically um, works with trauma, EMDR, and kind of uh, emotional processing of stuck traumas. Um, I'm a coach and a trainer, you know, and I'm like, yeah, life is traumatizing. Let's, let's get on the horse and use it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so so I work on like the from this point forward and yeah, we're all traumatized humans. And now how do you build a beautiful life with what you have? Mm-hmm. Um, she works on the trauma end and like, let's look at the background and what's going on. So what happened is we started sharing a lot of clients. Like she would refer to me because they were at the end of their therapeutic Run and like, okay, what do we do now? And yeah. I would refer to her because inevitably in coaching and training, um, people are running into the blocks of their traumas, mm. you know, and and I want to acknowledge that those are all real in some way. Um, so we teamed up to develop, we have a, a company called the Anxiety Experts, so mm. we work with especially high functioning individuals that are successful because of their anxiety, mm. but which a lot of us are, you know, like our idiosyncrasies are what make us valuable in some areas, but they also cause us pain in others. Mm. And with anxiety, it's almost like the nervous system is always in a heightened state. And if they know how to tone it down and bring themselves to a more parasympathetic state, all the gifts and skills that come from trauma, because all of our best gifts and skills come from trauma in some way or another, it's the things that we learned. And when we can actually, when we can use them in a skillful way or a helpful way, that becomes a beautiful thing. So if you could down regulate the trauma while maximizing the gifts that came from it, this is an even higher performing individual, you know? So I love that. So we got together and we built a workbook so people can do a self-paced experience where they can kind of walk through Um, their anxiety from a number of different lenses. We look at the nervous system. We look at moods and emotions. We look at the Jungian archetypes and how archetypes live in different ways. So the more um, an individual has an opportunity to reflect on who they are and how they became what they are, the stronger basis they have to build what they want to go with forward. So we have a, a workbook called Moving from Fear to Freedom, Overcoming Anxiety. Um, and, you know, the whole idea is that our, our sensations are our superpowers, and the more you can integrate your sensations, the body and the mind together, the better we get. And so we also codified that in a downloadable class where they can, it's a more, it's a four hour format, with a number of different short videos that people can go through. It's basically the workbook, but expanded with information um, so they can take their their time working through that as well. And we made a discount code for the Rising Man community. All you have to do is uh, type in Rising Man. I think we're doing a 40% discount. I have to check with my wife. Um we're, we're doing a pretty good discount for you guys. And that's gonna be on the workbook and the class
0: amazing dude uh well that's that's really exciting is the the class something that's pre-recorded that they do at their own pace
1: the class is pre-recorded doing it at your own pace it's not on our website yet but it will be shortly um probably within the next week or so so probably by the time that
0: this recording comes out yeah okay great
1: yeah totally and the workbook is available currently
0: awesome Well, I guess my last question is, you know, who, who is the ideal person to, uh, to, to take this course or to, to go through the workbook? Is there, can you describe somebody who, where they might be be super valuable?
1: Really anybody who's struggling and, and frustrated with the anxiety, you know, with the fact that they have all these emotions that they don't understand, um, that, that these emotions are an ally. So it's anybody who's really stuck and struggling with anxiety, and it shows up in their work. It shows up in their ability or inability to take initiative on things they want. Um, and especially when we're moving towards what we want most, anxiety and fear show up. And so it it prevents people from actually accomplishing what they really want in life. Um, so anybody who's struggling with that and wants to gain a better understanding of their emotional landscape and use those sensations to their advantage instead of their adversary, um, that's, that's people we want to talk to.
0: Awesome, man. Well, um, thank you for the generous offering to the rising man community. We'll make sure we put that in the show notes and make that available to everybody. And, um, I've got some ideas cooking in the background of how else we might be able to bring you in and have you do some work with the men in the rising man space. Um, specifically I would love it, around man. this, cause I know you would enjoy that and I think the men will get a lot out of it too. So definitely, uh, well, we'll just leave that as a seed planted a teaser for the future. Um, <laughs> But Titus, man, I guess any, any last words, any last messages that you want to share and that you got the men's attention and anyone else? Just,
1: just an appreciation for you and this platform, the work that you're doing. Um, You know, I've, I've watched Rising Man grow from inception and, and to see what is developed is pretty impressive and beautiful. And
0: I love the work that you're doing. Thanks, man. I really appreciate that. It's it's great to have allies on the battlefield uh, that, we're, that we're navigating. And you've been such a valuable and instrumental person in, in my journey, too. Um, I, episode five, dude. Uh, you were episode five on the podcast. So I know. Here it's we are like 200 ep- 250 episodes later. And um, yeah, man, we're still running strong. So yeah, it's great to have you as an ally. And thank you for sharing your wisdom here. Happy to. Yeah. All right, man. Till next time. All 'all. I hope you enjoy that episode and please take advantage of the generous offer that Titus and his wife have provided for this community. That 40% discount code will be included in the show notes. So go check that out and go get your copy of his workbook today and make sure you guys keep tuning in each and every week when we're dropping these episodes, these amazing conversations and drops of wisdom for you. Thank you for your support and for always showing up and repping rising men until next time rise up and claim your destiny.